Well, I got asked the question, how many people have already opened gifts? Okay. Sheila still does not know what I got her from Walgreens last night. We have not opened ours, and uh, yes, it won't take long, but um, <laughs> we've been talking over the last four weeks about the gifts of Christmas, and we've, and we've lit the candles, and today they're, they were lighted as we started the service, the gifts of hope and love and joy and peace, and the center candle, that Christ candle, and today, chosen for a topic, the gift that keeps on giving, and uh, I don't know about you, you've probably heard that, that, but actually that phrase was trademarked in 1927, 27 by the Victor Victrola talking machine, RCA Victor, and you can see one of those up there. Uh, now, what is a talking machine? Well, a talking machine is a phonograph. Now, for a lot of you, what's a phonograph? <laughs> well, it's what we had before eight-track tapes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Which then what we had, cassette tapes, and then we had DVDs and CDs, and now we have MP3s, and I'm, it boggles my mind. But phonographs were those record players that you had to have an album, and it was the gift that kept on giving because you could, you could play it over and over and over again. Not only that, you could get another phonograph, and you could play it, and you could get, you could get or another album. You can get it, and you can get another one, and a third one, and a fourth one, and you can keep adding, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. And, you know, since that phrase was trademarked. It ran out, of course. They're not forever. And other organizations have used that. Other organizations such as uh, Sports Illustrated, a gift that keeps on giving. That's uh, an idea if you haven't done anything yet. Organ donors. Now, not organ like we used to have in front of the church. <laughs> but organ donors is a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, they've used that in their campaigns. Um, Kodak cameras is a gift that keeps on giving. You can take those pictures over and over and over again. United Way and other organizations, charity organizations have given. You know, you give and, and it, it supports others and just keeps on giving and giving and giving. And so those are, they have used those trademarks, the gift that keeps on giving. I kind of looked up on the internet and said, what's some gifts that keeps on giving? And here's a few that came up is maybe you got one of these this year. Um, I, this first one I thought was a great idea, a gift that keeps on giving, cooking classes. Yeah, yeah, Gift that keeps on give cooking classes. Teach a person to cook and they'll eat forever. Yeah, something like that. How about this? Rechargeable batteries. Yeah, that was, that was probably tops on anybody's list this year. Oh, wow, rechargeable batteries. <laughs> yeah. Rechargeable is a gift that keeps on giving. Photos. Always photos. It, it reminds us of special occasions and especially special people. I love this one. A zoo membership. A zoo membership. You can keep on going and going and going. Hold an arboretum. They'd probably like to hear a, you know, something like that. You know, just a membership to something where you can go again and again and take families. And then finally one I saw and I said, this is in my price range. A family recipe. A family recipe. Pass it on. A gift that keeps on giving. I don't know if I think about that. You may be thinking like me, what are some of those gifts that kept on giving in my life? And it's, they're usually those, those ones that you remember. 
You know, you, you remember, you think about, and, and you've probably had a few. Maybe you received one today. But I remember back in my, I guess, I don't know what you call it. If it's late adolescent, early teenage years, probably. I remember one gift I received. It wasn't a fancy thing, but it was one that I enjoyed, and I enjoyed over and over and over again. I got a picture of it here. It's not mine, but it was a, it was a puzzle. It was a puzzle, and it was a puzzle of the astronaut, or the Apollo 11 astronauts, uh, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. And it, it was, it's a gift that keeps on giving. You can take it apart and put it back. But I remember at one point we put it together, and it kind of stayed up in my room together for a long time. And someone asked me if I still have it. I don't know if I do, or it, I think it might be at my parents' house. But um, it's just one that I enjoyed and, and liked having. Because back in late 60s, uh, early 70s, you, you, you just were interested in space. It was so neat to have something going on that was so incredible as to go to the moon, something no human being had ever done. And to, and to have this and to think about everything that's gone into this and, and the, the bravery of these men was just, was just an exciting thing to happen. And, and so it started my, my, my lifelong quest to become an astronaut. Until, until someone told me that being an accountant was much more exciting. <laughs> yes. So that person's no longer a friend. <laughs> but that was July 1969. And that was something that really uplifted the nation because we had just been through, and those of you who remember the 60s, had been through really a horrible year the year before. 1968 was just remembered as a year that, uh, that changed the world and a year that was very disastrous. We had, we had the, the assassinations of uh, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King. We experienced um, racial uh, riots and, and the civil rights movement was really in a, in a difficult time. The Vietnam War was cranking up, it was escalating, and it just seemed like everything in our country was going downhill fast. Until December, 30, December 21st, 1968, Apollo 8, three before Apollo 11, took off. And Apollo 8 with, uh, we don't remember these guys as well, Frank Borman, James Lovell Jr., who you might remember from Apollo 13, and William Anders, were the first men, the first human beings ever to leave the orbit of the earth. They were the first ones to get out into space. And they went and they circled the moon 10 times. They were the first people to get, see the back side of the moon. They were the first folks to see the earth from way out in space. And it was an accomplishment beyond accomplishments. And we were all so excited. In fact, Christmas Eve, 1968, these men were asked to give a message to the country. And it ended up not being this to the country, it ended up being a message to the whole world. And it was uh, a message that most of us will never forget. They were told not what to say. NASA just told, it, make them, told them, make it appropriate. Make it appropriate. And so with one billion people watching and listening, now the population of the earth was somewhere between three and four billion. They figure a quarter to a third of the people on the face of the earth were listening or watching, watching the astronauts that day and that night, Christmas Eve. And here is, if you tuned in, here's what you saw and heard.
70 miles from the moon. 70 miles. Current uh, now approaching uh, lunar sunrise. And uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth. And the Earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a movement in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament, the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. <laughs> God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you. All of you on the good earth. Still kind of gives me chills as I hear that. And you say, well, that was a different day. And could we do that today? I'll let you know. You might remember Madeline Murray O'Hare, the founder of the American Atheists. She actually filed a lawsuit. Uh, because of that against NASA. And, that, and the, the judge ruled that he dismissed the case and said she didn't have jurisdiction. So, <laughs> I, I don't know who has jurisdiction 70 miles above the moon, but, <laughs> but I know she doesn't, and, uh, or she didn't. And so, so yeah, isn't that so neat as, as we reflect back, God, the creator of heaven and earth. And we look back at that, and it's, it's a it's a just a tremendous reminder that in the beginning, God created. It says the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the earth. It reminds us of God's creative powers. And if you read the NIV in that second, chat, second verse, it says that his spirit was hovering over the waters. And so we get this picture of God above his creation, looking at the darkness, utter, complete darkness, and we hear the first words of God. The first recorded words of the creator is, let there be light. Let there be light. And it's with that in mind that centuries later, a man named John, a disciple of Jesus, went down and sat down to write his memoirs or his message. 
and he picks up right where the author of Genesis left off. Chapter 1, verse 1 of John reads this way. Let's, let's stand together as we read these words. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So the, to the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world is made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but he own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you. You may be seated. Powerful words written in Genesis and just as powerful words written by John in chapter one. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And he says this, the word was God, with God, and the word was God. John does not want you to have any misunderstanding of who Jesus is. He doesn't want us to think he's one thing, but he's another. And so he's starting at the beginning, and he says, this word, who we know, by the way, is Jesus. Why do we know that? Read the rest of the first chapter and read John. There's no question he is referring here to Jesus. In fact, in John, verse 14, he says he became flesh, this word. And John the Baptist, we'll see, tells us he was before me, he, was, he came after me, but he was before me. This is Jesus they're talking about. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he goes on and says, he was in the beginning. So he's, he not only is with God, but he is, he, he is God. <laughs> and he's eternal. He's been forever. And then he says this, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Look at that. Look at that passage a second. This is the one who is lying in the manger. This is the one who we're celebrating this morning came to earth. Genesis said God hovered over the face of the earth and he spoke the light into the darkness. John is telling us that God is not content with just hovering over the earth. He wants to invade it. He wants to be a part of it. And Christmas is just that. It's God saying, I now will come to earth. I will make my home in earth. 
I will make my home in my people and I will be a personal God. God no longer just hovers over. God indwells. He says, I am going to come. And he comes. And it's, 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 not, just, it's not just a baby. It's not a baby. This is God. It says, in fact, he made all things. Through him, all things are made. And Colossians 1.17 says, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Not only did he make them, he keeps them held together. It's like he's the manufacturer and he's the repairman. <laughs> he's, the, he's the custodian. He, he keeps it together. He keeps it running. Uh, that's the baby that's in the manger. There's no doubt. That's who he is. St. Augustine said it so great many, many centuries ago. He said this. He loved us that, for our sake, he was made a man in time, although through him all times were made. He was made who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was held by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He is the word without whom all human eloquence is mute. He is he is the word without whom all other human eloquence is mute. If it's not for him, the one who came as a baby who couldn't speak was the word, was the word. And John wants us to understand that. Because you look at John and you say, hey, John, where are the angels? Where's the manger? Where's the shepherds? Where's the wise men? Where's all, where's all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the um, gospels, only two of the four gospels really even mention any of the events around Jesus' birth, Luke and Matthew. John and, and Mark don't really mention the events of his birth at all. Is it not important? Yes, it's important. But you know what? All four gospels lend a very, very significant portion of their book to his last week of life. It's like, a, it's like what they say sometimes in sports, you know, you, 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 you can't win the game in the first quarter, but you can lose it. Uh, when you, if you're a good coach, when it comes fourth quarter, he goes, you go like this, fourth quarter, we got to finish strong. The first quarter, it's important, the birth of Christ, no doubt about it. A lot of prophecies were fulfilled that were necessary. But he had to finish strong. His real battle was at the end. His real battle was at the cross. He had to, he, that fourth quarter in overtime for Christ was where, was where victory was won. And so the gospels, a lot of them spend this time, they all spend this great time on this last week, but only the first couple, or only two of them really, really talk about his birth. And so John here is saying, he's not, I'm not really that concerned about the angels and the shepherds. I'll let other people deal with that. I want you to know who this baby is. And he is God. And he was, he was with God during the creation. And he is God. And he, not only that, he is still holding things together today. Paul tells us. So he goes on. He says this. In him, verse 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. John is saying, really what he believes God is thinking is the physical light that we experienced 
than they would have experienced up to that point in time wasn't enough. The sun, as pleasant as it is, and as much light as it gives us, is not enough. We need a, a spiritual light. A spiritual light had to come because there is a darkness that Jesus entered into. Just like, just like God looked, looked and saw the darkness on the, uh, on the face of the earth and said, let there be light, he looks at the world and he looked at the world and he saw darkness. And he saw your spiritual darkness and he saw my spiritual darkness. And he said, I want some light. And so he sent his son. And so when we lit this candle last night and said this is the Christ candle because he is the light of the world, he came in, he came into a world that was just as dark, just as dark spiritually as it was physically in Genesis chapter two and chapter one. It says the darkness cannot overcome it. We talked last night that the darkness could not win out. Even when the darkness thought it had won, the darkness could not overcome it. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The darkness will not overcome the light. We know the end of the story, right? The, dark, the light wins. And light always beats back darkness. Except in a case in my house. I went to get some examples to give you today and I started looking for flashlights. And they didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need re rechargeable batteries. Thank you. <laughs> yes, it's either, it's either those batteries or it's, or it's the light bulb or it's something. And sometimes I'm not connected into the source that's, that's, that's powerful. And here, this light that we can receive is connected to the source because John says it is the source. Jesus Christ is the source. You don't have to worry about the batteries, or the light bulb, or the connections. If you're connected to the source, then we have the power. And then in verse 6, he interjects again, and this is a little more just to, just to place in the context and to encourage us that this is a physical uh, fact that happened. This is not a story. This is not a poem. This is something that happened. He says, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now, this is a different John. This is John the Baptist. He said he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. I mentioned John 15, uh, verse 15 here earlier. John testified this. He said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And so John is setting it in an historical context, not necessarily a birth but Jesus' beginning of his ministry. And he said, there was, a, there was one sent by God, and he said, this light, yes, he is the one. He is the word. If you have any question who Jesus is, I, John wants you to get it straight. Who is this baby that was born? Verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through him, was, everything was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. Wow. The world didn't recognize him. Again, John wants you to recognize him. He, John wants you to understand who God is. John 20, verse 31, the first part of that, he says, but these are written, he's talking about what he's writing, these are writing that you, written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
He tells us why he's writing. I want you to know that this manger, this baby in this manger, is the Son of God. The one who was with God in the beginning, the one who is God, and the one who is holding everything together. That's him. And he says that. It's interesting. Usually the Gospels, leave, most of the Gospels tell stories. And they tell stories about Christ. You know, Christ did this, Jesus did this, and Jesus did that. And they leave us, just like he left the disciples, to a little bit guess who he is. It's like, who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? Who is he? Who is this guy who can feed multitudes with a few fish and a little bit of loaves with loaves of bread? Who is he? And those gospels leave us wondering. John is just the opposite. Go through John and go count the I am's that are in there. Go count the I am's in John. Let me just give you a few of them. John 6, to those who are unsatisfied, he tells them this, I am the bread of life. John chapter 10, to those who were confused and searching, he said, I am the gate for the sheep. He says also there, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. John chapter 11, to those who are grief-stricken, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, to those who are lost, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, to those who are feeling apart from God, he says, I am the vine. Stay in me. And in verse 8, chapter 8, chapter 9 of John, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. John does not want you to miss who Christ is. Throughout his gospel, he wants, you, he wants to write so that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Is that pretty obvious? I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. I am the light of the world, he said. Just as John earlier said, he is the light. Come into our world. In a manger, in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago. Finally, verse 11 says this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then here's the good news. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. All we have to do is to receive him and believe. In fact, the second half of that verse in John 20, verse 31, after he says, oh, I write this to believe, he says, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. That's why John is writing. He's writing so that we could see this baby, we could understand who he is, and we would put our faith and our trust in him, and that by believing in him, we would have life, because Jesus is the life and the light of the world.
How exciting is that? We were, lost, we were lost in spiritual darkness. We needed the light. God looked down. He says, it's dark down there. I got the sun, but it's dark down there. And so what did he do? He sent the light, the true light, the living light into our world. And you say, why well, is it really that dark? I'm a pretty, we're, we're pretty good people, right? We're pretty good. We're not that dark, is it? It's not that dark. It's just kind of dusk, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But you know, in Luke chapter 18, there's a story about a man came up to Jesus and he said, um, hey, good teacher. And he asked him a question about eternal life. And you know what Jesus' response was? Why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God. <laughs> Why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God. We all carry the darkness from Adam. We all carry the darkness that we've been living with because we live in a cursed world. And the story goes, why would a good God allow a no good into heaven? It's because he sent a light. As we receive him, we believe him, we become his children. And as John said in John 20, 31, that we may have life through his name. A no good like me Probably a little better than no good from some of you, but, but not good enough. It's the light that came through Jesus Christ to give us life. The light brings life. Always does. Light brings life. Finally, he closes with this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his, own, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He says, one more time, if you're having any questions who I'm talking about here, it's the one who became flesh. The one that followed John, but it was really before John. That's him. He is the light. Do you believe? Do you trust in him? Did you receive him? That's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is not necessarily that Jesus started well, it's that he ended well. He ended on a cross, yes, for us. And he also ended up being a risen Savior to give us life eternal. The light of Christ is the light of life. The light of life. Isaiah 9-2, God knew this all along. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep, darkness has dawned. Is darkness dawning in your life? Is the light creeping in? Is this, are you saying, well, is this really what Isaiah was talking about? Sure is. A few verses later, he says, oh, and by the way, for unto us, a child is born, unto us, a son is given. It's Christ he's talking about, the light of the world, who has come for you and me. This Christmas as we go, I pray that God's light has reached into your darkness. Maybe that darkness is because of sin. Maybe it's just because of despair. Maybe it's because of just a lack of spending time with him. But God's light wants to come into your life. And it can break in because, see, when God quit hovering above the earth and came into the earth, he became a personal God. 
And he became a light for me and for you, for every one of us. He said, I want a relationship with you. And I believe he does. I love these Christmas hymns that we sing, don't you? Or the choruses. And, and we sing a few of them. And one we haven't sang. Seth, we haven't sang this one. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But I was looking at that. And, and I was looking at the third verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I put it up on the screen here. It goes like this. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. You know, I was looking at that this morning, and I found a typo. Do you know there's a typo up there? Anybody see the typo? Charles Wesley wrote this hymn. And it's a typo because I changed it. I thought it was wrong the first time. <laughs> when Charles Wesley wrote that, it's hail the S-U-N, capitalized. It's S-U-N of righteousness. And as I was looking at that this morning, I said, oh, no, i got to change that. I said, no, let's just talk about it a second in closing. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son, capital S-U-N. The one who brings life to us. Hail the Son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And then it goes on and finishes. Mild, he lays his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That's good news. Good news of great joy. This morning and this Christmas as we go, I hope you take this good news of great joy. Jesus is the light. Jesus brings life. And hopefully that's true in your life. If not, make it true. What do you have to do? Well, according to verse 12, we have to receive him and we have to believe on his name. If you haven't done that, do it now. Do it now. Receive him and believe on his name. And then the Bible tells us there's a big party in heaven. There's a big party. The Father celebrates. And so this morning, we, wanna, we just want to rejoice. And we're going to do joy to the world again. We're going to do, we're just, we're gonna, we got good news and great joy. Let's do joy to the world to close and just lift it up in praise to him. And if you need to, you need to do business with the Lord, you can do it there. You can come up here. But let's stand together and let's close with joy to the world. The Lord has come, the light of the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come.
one of the astronauts, I don't remember which it was, of Apollo 8, tells about getting a letter not long after he got home. And there was just one line in there that, that he had to share. It said, thank you for saving 1968. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, Jesus Christ came as our Savior for more than just 1968, for all time, for all creation, for all of us. Go this week and serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. Go in the peace and grace and love and mercy and, did I forget one? Peace and grace and love and mercy and joy and hope of the Lord. You're dismissed.